Thank you so much. Our gospel reading this morning comes out of the gospel of uh, Mark. On Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never heard what David did when his companions were hungry and in need of food? He entered into the house of God when Abiathar was high priest and ate bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he gave some to his companions. And then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And again he entered into the synagogue And a man was there who had a withered hand. They were watching him to see whether he would cure him on the Sabbath so that they could accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Come forward. Then he said to them, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save life or to kill. But they were silent. He looked around at them with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart. And then he said to them, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against him to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What are your greatest dreams? What are your greatest dreams? Dreams, aspirations, desires, they're a paradox. Dreams give you vision for something bigger, something better, something more important. Dreams are something beyond the current reality. Paradoxically, dreams can set you up for incredible failure. You shoot for the moon and you don't even get past the clouds. What's your dream? What are your dreams? What do you want more than anything else in life? 
And will this be the end of you? You can tell in our gospel passage that Jesus has something different in mind for his own religion. He breaks his own religious laws. And for what? So that a man can be made whole. And this is the entirety of Isaiah's vision or Isaiah's dream in Isaiah 58, which we heard earlier. Isaiah here is the mouthpiece for God, and he asks, Is this not the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? If you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light will rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. Isaiah tells the people of God that their worship, their worship is worthless. That their prayers are pathetic. But their fast is fake. Because none of those prayers, none of that worship, turns into anything tangible for the most vulnerable in society. Now that's a dream for something better. And early in the Gospel of Mark, already in chapter 2... We learn that Jesus picks up that dream of Isaiah and he turns that dream into reality. If God seriously wants the oppressed to go free and the withered to be made whole, then Jesus does exactly that in this gospel passage. Jesus seeks to make this prophetic dream a reality. And dreams are the visions of our lives. But they are dangerous. They will mess up your life. My life got all messed up in the year 2000. I'd really never had any dreams whatsoever of going to Yale University. That never was in the orbit of my mind growing up in the Mississippi Delta. It just wasn't. But when I came to Yale, it had never occurred to me that I was going to get this great education so that I could eventually return to Mississippi to do anything. In fact, I wasn't in New Haven long before I realized that I actually had escaped something in Mississippi. When I landed in New Haven in 1998, I started a work-study job at the Divinity School Library. And I was told that I would get paid $7.25 an hour. Now, this is 1998, so it was a little bit more money, right? As soon as they told me, I went back to my room This was before I had a cell phone, right? Before cell phones were really a thing, actually. I went back to my room and I called my mama. (laughs) And I said, Mama, they are paying me $7.25 an hour. I've made it. (laughs) And I'll never forget what my mother told me. She said, Jason, son. I've never made that much money in my life. And I said, I know, it's crazy. 
So the next day, I was walking to the refectory where we all ate, and I was just kind of floating, trying to dream of all the ways I'm going to spend all this money. And I sit down at the table, there's about eight of us, and there's a woman there who came to Yale Divinity School to start her second career. And she goes, can you believe what they're paying us for these work-study jobs? And I was like, I know, it's crazy. (laughs) And then she pounded on the table. How do they expect us to live on $7.25 an hour? I know, right? (laughs) So that was my world when I landed in Connecticut, right? Within a year, I was a youth group advisor um, for a youth group called YG. Stood for nothing more than youth group. YG. It was cool. (laughs) And this was at the New Canaan Congregational Church in New Canaan, Connecticut, which is one of the wealthiest places on the face of the planet. I didn't know that there was this big mission trip every year for YG uh, when I started there in 1999, but I soon found out that their big youth mission trip was the linchpin of the youth group every year. And I started hearing these stories about Appaloosa, Louisiana, which is kind of where my dad's from, so I didn't think it was that exotic, but man, folks in Connecticut, it might as well have been on the other side of the planet, right? Appaloosa, Louisiana. And as they began to search for where they were going to go in the year 2000, the big trip of the new millennium, it occurred to me then, I was like, the Mississippi Delta might be a good candidate for this. And it was on that trip in Indianola, Mississippi, that I started to realize this might be it. My role in life, maybe even a calling, would be to connect the Mississippi Delta with resources from other places. And I've been coming to terms with that dream for about 18 years now, and it's messed me up. From 2000 until now, I've been slowly journeying on this realization. And in hindsight, it has been a dream. In 2003, I took Wilton Baptist Church to Chula, Mississippi, which is the poorest town in in America, right in the heart of the Mississippi Delta. Then in 2005, we went back to Greenville, Mississippi, another Delta town. In 2006, I I changed jobs and worked at Wilshire Baptist Church in Dallas as their minister of missions and took that church to Indianola, Mississippi. And it was on that trip in Indianola where my life was messed up once again. It was in 2006 on that trip I realized that I needed to concentrate on this little town of Shaw, Mississippi, which was my hometown. 2007, I was back in Connecticut at Wilton Baptist Church, and we came to Shaw. We returned in 2009, came back in 2011, and in 2013, we founded Delta Hands for Hope. 2014, we called Lane Riley to be the first program director at Delta Hands for Hope. And then in July 2016, I moved back to Mississippi to be the coordinator of CBF Mississippi and the national director of Together for Hope, which is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Rural Development Coalition. And now what's happening in Shaw, Mississippi will become a model for how we're going to fight rural poverty all across the United States of America. 
And Highland Baptist Church, the way you partner with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, the way you partner with us, that's how we're going to make this happen. It might not be withered hands that are made whole, but I promise you, together for hope, it's children in rural poverty space that's learning that they have value in this world. And you make that possible by partnering with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. And what we're doing at Together for Hope, we're patterning our, we're patterning our whole focus after the civil rights movement. We're walking in the footsteps of those great leaders, and we will follow those footsteps to freedom. But we're in a moment of paradox, and you're in that moment with us. We've experienced some miraculous moments in the the past couple of years, more than I could share with you this morning. But it's like we're the man in the synagogue with the withered hand that's just been made whole. I imagine that this man had been living with this condition for quite a while, and he wondered, and I wonder if his dreams were that he would be made whole, or whether he had stopped dreaming about that altogether. In any case, he stood there whole. But he certainly didn't know what was next. If this is possible, What else is possible? We've got these grand dreams now, which created some serious expectations. And like the man who'd been made whole, we ask, now what? In 1963, America witnessed one of the greatest orations in the 20th century. It was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. He was 34 years old when he preached that sermon in Washington, D.C. And he was preaching from a manuscript, just like I'm preaching from a manuscript. And then a woman behind her says, Martin, tell him the dream. Tell him the dream, Martin. Then he broke away from the manuscript. And he started talking about his dream. I have a dream. That one day on the red hills of Georgia, sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day, even the state of Mississippi a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. Now that's a dream. It's as lofty as Isaiah. It's as bold as Jesus Christ. That's a dream. And tomorrow I'm going to go over to Danville, Kentucky. You probably know where that is better than me. And I'm going to meet with Bob Fox, the new coordinator for the Kentucky Baptist Fellowship. And we have some other ministers from Kentucky. And we're going to get around the table. And we'll begin planning how we're going to tackle persistent rural poverty in Kentucky. Now, you might know this, but Together for Hope, 
We're shifting our focus away from those 20 poorest counties, that 20-year commitment to the 20 poorest counties. We're shifting our focus now to a, to a commitment to the 301 counties of persistent rural poverty in America. And out of those 301 counties of persistent rural poverty, 39 of those counties are right here in the state of Kentucky, eastern Kentucky, the heart of Appalachia. Now, there are 55 counties total in Appalachia when you look at Ohio, West Virginia, uh, and Tennessee. So there's 55 counties of persistent rural poverty in Appalachia. Together for Hope seeks to absolutely and unequivocally change that narrative and end poverty in Appalachia through four priorities of hope. Education, health and nutrition, housing environment, and uh, social enterprise. That's a dream. But that dream cannot happen without you. It will take all of you. It will take all of us. It will take all of our churches in the state of Kentucky, looking into West Virginia, Ohio, even Virginia and Tennessee. It's going to take all of us. And so you're instrumental in that dream. But dreams are dreams because they haven't happened yet. And just like Dr. King's dream of an America where division would be overcome by a common humanity, those dreams aren't quite realized yet either. And the hope that saturates Dr. King's 55-year-old speech now, it's cautioned, if not fully challenged, by an older poem written by Langston Hughes, A Dream Deferred. Listen to this warning. What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or fester like a sore and run? Does it stink like rotten meat or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load or does it explode? Hughes begs the question, what happens to dreams? How long will you keep dreaming until you stop and give up? Is it, is it better not to dream at all? Or does the waiting simply become too much and you explode? How long do we have to wait before Dr. King's dream becomes a reality? How incremental are our dreams before they explode? How long will Appalachia languish in poverty? The man with the withered hand had become whole, but now what? He's able-bodied, but where does that leave him? We've come pretty far, but there's a long road ahead of us. We have Scarlet Jasper. We even have Paula Settle working in Together for Hope. But what else do we need to do to change Kentucky? And this is the tension between Dr. King's dream and Mr. Hughes's poem. 
And I think that tension was, we find in Isaiah in the Gospel of Mark. They both beg the question, now what? God wants more than empty songs. God wants more than shallow prayers. God wants the oppressed to go free. But so what? So what if that's what God wants? What are God's people going to do about God's dream? So we, like Isaiah, like Jesus, like Dr. King, we just aren't there yet. But we are, in fact, moving in the right directions. The dream isn't fully realized, but it is materializing a little bit every day. In one of my first meetings in Shaw, Mississippi, I, I met with the former mayor, Ms. Willie Mae Johnson. She was an elementary teacher that taught me when I was a little kid growing up. I said, Ms. Uh, mayor Johnson, what's your dream for Shaw, Mississippi? And she said, come with me, baby. So I got in her pickup truck, and we drove to this, the old Head Start in town. Uh, and it was kind of an abandoned field uh, with a dilapidated building. The grass was about as tall as I am. It was not tall. Uh, you know, fence, a security fence all the way around it. And she stood there with me, and we're, I don't know exactly what's going on. And she goes, this, I want this to be a park for our town. I want our children to come play here. I want us to have barbecues here. I want us to feel good about that. That's what I want. That's my dream for this town. It was an abandoned building on an abandoned property that had been abandoned for decades. That was over five years ago. The building's been torn down. fence has been taken away. The grass has been mowed. And two years ago, of all churches, New Canaan Congregational Church in New Canaan, Connecticut, their YG youth group came to Shaw and they built a park there for the community. Now we have a place for our children to play. Now we have a place for our folks to have barbecues. Now we have a park that we can all believe in and feel good about. Now it's good for our whole community. Now while we have a long way to go, while all our dreams haven't come true yet, there are dreams continually materializing in front of us, and these are enough, just enough, to keep us moving forward in hope and with great expectation. Mr. Hughes's poem may speak to the violence of unmet dreams or express a sentiment of why dream at all. And it's an important warning to heed. But Dr. King's dream, that dream has an audacious hope and an indefatigable spirit. Highland Baptist Church, You are a part of this dream. You're offering for global missions. It doesn't just build a park in Shaw or a park in Appalachia. You're offering for global missions builds a future for Appalachia, and it builds your own future. And to that end, we are maintaining a dream. So I'll leave you with this poem. Get your hoe and tiller, get your gloves and boots, get your shovels and rakes. We're planting some roots 
We will water and feed. We will fertilize and weed. We will work until we are tired, then some more. This isn't a garden, a plant, a bush, a tree. It requires more from me. A dream has been planted and a dream grows. Will it die on the vine? Will it decompose? It's up to the tender, the laborers, the team. It's up to us. This is the maintenance of a dream. Amen.